the IE Business Podcast, brought to you by the Irish Examiner, in association with PwC, experts in audit, tax and advisory services. Hello there, and welcome to the IE Business Podcast, in association with PwC. Talking to me today is Lauren Duggan someone who established an impressive marketing career working with tech firms including Microsoft and London-based Smartology until the Cork native decided to return home to co-found the sustainable period products company We Are Riley in 2021. Lauren, welcome to the IE Business Podcast. Hi, delighted to be here. So uh, Lauren, first of all, tell me about what We Are Riley does. Um, it's, we kind of go by Riley, but Riley is a eco-friendly, sustainable period care business. Um, so yeah, we deliver on a subscription basis on one part of our business directly to our customers' doors so they never run out of product. And then on the other side of our business, we have a B2B angle whereby we're trying to make period products more accessible in public loos and staff bathrooms um, across Ireland, UK and Europe. Okay. And what came first for you, the decision to come home or the idea for Riley? And <laughs> We came up with the idea for Riley at Christmas time. Um, of 2020, right in the middle of COVID. Um, and I think we all th- were, we all felt really passionately around the idea, but at this time we all had full-time stable jobs. Um, so we went away for Christmas to kind of take a bit of a reboot to kind of think, is this really for us or are we just losing our minds during COVID? Um, and then in January, we came back to the table the first week of January and we were all like 100% we're doing it, we're in. Um, so it was more the idea came first and then very quickly the move happened because I couldn't afford, I suppose, to live in London and focus all my time and effort on growing a business. So I had to come back to the family home mm-hmm. and luckily my parents took me in um, for two years. <laughs> um, I'm only recently out of there. But yeah, I'm sure that's a, a common uh, situation for a lot of people nowadays. So I, I yeah. think so. I think when you're starting a business as well. We tried to balance our jobs and doing it in the evenings and weekends at the very beginning. But I think you almost need the panic behind you. You need to kind of take the leap of faith fully mm-hmm. to kind of focus your time and efforts to really, yeah. I suppose, you know, push you. And how do you know uh, the other co-founders, Fiona Parfait and Anya Kilkenny? So Fiona and I actually went to school together here in Cork. So we've known each other since first year. Um, and then Anya is a family friend of mine. So her parents and my parents would have been extremely close growing up. So we were kind of introduced as teenagers. So we've all been friends, I suppose, for a really long time. Oh, that's lovely. And it's so nice to have like such a female focused business from, you know, from female founders and also friends. Like yeah. that's a great, uh, it's a great story. But um, I suppose what was the, you know, the spark that you know that led you to create the company and you know there's an awful lot out there it's it's quite a saturated market excuse the pun um, <laughs> but, but you know what was the the mo- the moment that you decided actually let's make something and enter this market yeah I think kind of as individuals we've always kind of been quite entrepreneurial or loved coming up with ideas but you know we never actually had anything I suppose that was worth us taking the, the leap of faith when I suppose the idea for Riley happened, it was very organic. We were drinking wine one night, as you do. Anya got her period and we had no access. Like we had no products on any of us or in mm-hmm. the house. And it then just kind of started a conversation about how, you know, they should be treated like toilet paper. You know, it's such a normal bodily function. They mm. should be more readily accessible everywhere you go. And we were finding women in our 30s who've had periods for really long times. Every month we'd seem to be, they'd not be there when we needed them or we'd be running out. Mm-hmm. 
So that was kind of where the brainwave for the subscription started. We were like, you know, it's kind of the dollar shave club for tampons, if you like, concept. Um, So that happened then. But when we started researching, I suppose, the products that were on market that we could have put into a subscription box, um, we then realized, I suppose, the quality of the products on the market were just not very good. Um, Mm. And it was a market, I suppose, that hasn't been disrupted for so long because 90% of it is owned by two major companies, you know, so there hasn't been a need for innovation in the space. Um, But the amount of plastic and also what was more shocking for me was the amount of chemicals, bleach, pesticides. Um, You know, there's a report that shows there can be up to 24 hormone affecting chemicals in a tampon. And you start to think you're putting these directly into your body. Um, So it was just kind of, I suppose, that shock factor was when we decided we'd just do it ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and something that I thought was really interesting is you decided to come home to create uh, Riley in, in Ireland, but we still had the tampon tax at the time in 2021 and it was gone in the UK. Now, it's not there anymore. But yeah. It's funny that, you know, that wasn't an, an issue for you. I suppose going into that market, it, it wasn't changed for so long. So it wasn't going to be an issue anyway. It's still going to be an uphill battle nearly. Exactly. And I think as well, kind of, you know, Scotland was the first country to make it, I suppose, free at a countrywide level and New Zealand has followed suit and I know there's a bill now happening in Ireland to do the same but I think the progression in the space is kind of you know it starts yeah. that trend is starting to happen yeah um so yeah we actually just started working with the government here in Ireland as well last year and um, so we were just awarded the framework for um to provide I suppose period products mm-hmm. to schools and defense forces and jails and hospitals which you know, seems quite obvious that it should be always have been the case. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's actually something that's only happening now. So it's really exciting. And it has opened up that opportunity as well, as you were saying there, to work with hospitality businesses and uh, retail, you know, to get uh, your products into into those bathrooms. Because, I mean, everywhere has free toilet paper. But do, there does seem to be that stigma attached with having free period products out there in in just in general. Are you seeing businesses kind of come away from that stigma or uh, are they a bit more open now to having these things in their bathrooms or is that another kind of barrier for you guys? It's interesting. So I suppose last year, the start of last year really was when we kind of, I suppose, spun off and started our corporate side of our business. And in the last, I suppose, you know, 14, 15 months, it's now 80% of our business. Um, So we have about 160 corporate clients now. It's, you know, a lot larger, I suppose, than our online subscription business, which is really promising to see it's because just that like employers are actually finally starting to realize kind of the value Some, yeah. something so simple like that can actually have to their staff mm-hmm. so we get a lot we get approached by a lot of women's networks internally or diversity and inclusion groups you know who can kind of champion this in the office it's kind of getting uh nearly a one-up on those two major brands as well because they don't need to like they've made their money and they are the most well-known brands out yeah. there so i suppose is that another reason why you went to the business to business model because you know it's very hard to establish establish yourself in that customer only market you know just straight to me or straight to you do you know yeah exactly you know it's kind of i suppose we kind of carved out a new distribution channel mm. i suppose that almost didn't really exist before um i suppose when you look at retail then it's really challenging as a small business to get onto the shelves with margins and you know all the different costs involved of course yeah. um, especially as a low value good you know it's hard to compete I suppose price wise with the big companies um so yeah the corporate angle for us was really interesting um and mm-hmm. I think you know a lot of companies now are looking at their UN sustainable development goals and they have a lot of I suppose you know targets that they want to hit as well from sustainability so we kind of um 
we get the employee, I suppose, wellness tick, but also really kind of help, I suppose, them with their sustainability goals too. Yeah. Um, and just on the, the stigma part as well, how, how is it getting your, your product out there? Because I know just in general, people just don't like talking about periods. So is there a barrier for getting, you know, even advertising on social media or even talking about it on social media? Has that been an issue for you guys or is it just <laughs> kind of you know, people have to face that it's half the population now and you're going to have to talk about periods. <laughs> yeah, we kind of just have to like force it down people's necks sometimes. But I think even when we started, like I know myself, even when I first got my period, it was like, here's a book, you know, it was such a, like an unspoken about yeah. topic. Um, and I think the more and more, I suppose, we're going into schools, we're, you know, working with doctors, we're trying to kind of focus a lot of our social media all on health education because it's just an underserved area in general. Yeah. But, you know, Slowly but surely, I feel like the the needle is kind of um, changing. Yeah. Are there any rules against talking about it? Because is it just us in general being like, oh, I don't want to talk about it? Or do you actually have to follow any rules when you're it's, advertising? It's there's more so just kind of people not really wanting to engage and speak about the okay. topic, especially from a social perspective. You know, if there's a lot of influencers out there who would be happy to promote certain brands. But this is kind of a not the sexiest of topics sometimes. That's true, yeah. Um, but yeah, we went on the radio actually earlier this year um, for International Women's Day and we were all, we were, we were just speaking about our business and what it was about, by no means going into details about periods or anything else. And I think following the show, there was like a hundred and something odd complaints from oh, wow. not even just men, but also women around the country saying how shameful it was that we were talking about this on national radio, this topic. Um, so I think, you know, the stigma is starting to change at a certain generational level, but that you know, is mad. Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting, and it was, um, you know, the presenter came back on the next day to read out all the comments and was <laughs> just to kind of like make a joke about it, saying, you know, this is just the lay of the land right now. But um, yeah. yeah, I suppose, uh, you know, you talked about costs there and that kind of thing, uh, which I do want to touch on. But uh, you did found uh, the business in uh, the pandemic. Would you say that was? A good time to start a business, especially one very female focused, because I suppose everyone had a lot of time. Or is that overly simplistic to say? Or was that kind of the best or worst time to start a business? We get asked this a lot, I think, in terms of, you know, why would you start a business during a global pandemic? Mm -hmm. um, but I think for us kind of individually, I suppose myself, my co-founders, it was probably the only time that we actually would have had, um, I suppose, you know, it was for us, it felt like the right time to start a business. The world was so uncertain. No one knew what was going to happen. So it was kind of like, if not now, when? Um, mm -hmm. So I think it kind of helped us, I suppose, kind of, um, you know, take the plunge and actually jump in and start a business because we had so much time on our hands and everything was quite uncertain. So like from when we started, came up with the idea, we launched four months later. Right. So, yeah, we had a lot of time on our hands to kind of get it up and running. Yeah. Um, but then we launched, I suppose, down in West Cork and then we were packing boxes ourselves and doing all that kind of manually in the background. Um, but yeah, it was it's mixed. The subscription angle, I do think, helped during COVID because people were online and kind of people mm -hmm. wanting deliveries. And it was kind of that excitement which helped during the pandemic. But yeah. Yeah. And I know that during the the first few months when you when you established yourselves and then recently as well you had successful crowdfunding campaigns um was that something that was a preference for you guys or is is private investment something you're looking at or are you seeing that there's a bit of um you know our investors spooked because of the interest rate environment at the moment um 
when we, I suppose we need to, to raise money very early on in our journey. Um, you know, we bootstrapped the company to get it off the ground with our own savings. But because we're a physical goods business, we needed stock and we needed kind of, I suppose, a cash injection early on. So we were going out looking for investment after about, you know, not even six months of trading. Um, so it was difficult, I suppose, for us to kind of get private investors on board because I suppose there was such little data points for us to look back on to kind of prove ourselves. We just, you know, we're three co-founders with an idea um, that if they wanted to invest the stake at which they wanted to invest, we weren't happy with those terms. You know, they wanted a huge piece of the pie for kind of limited money. And, you know, you kind of try to get as much good legal advice as you can in the early days, which we were very glad that we did. Um, I think for us then what we found is, you know, let's just go crowdfunding because we can put it out to everyone. It might be easier to convince 300 people to part ways with a little bit of money than, you know, one investor to part ways with a big ticket who will want a lot of, I suppose, terms. So that was kind of our initial idea for crowdfunding. Um, but it's also risky, I suppose, on the con side because it's so public. You know, if it doesn't work, you've kind of publicly, I suppose, failed to raise that money. Mm -hmm. um, but no, we had a very successful raise and it was interesting then because all of our customers became our first investors. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then you kind of end up with 300, you know, brand ambassadors essentially for your business after a raise. Yeah. You from a marketing perspective, you know, so you keep it's... Keep that um, relationship, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I suppose like going forward is big private investment something that Riley is looking looking at or are you going to stick to the crowdfunding um, aspect because I suppose as you said you can build those relationships it is you know you can get a lot from various people um, you went over uh, if I'm right in the last crowdfund you, yeah you achieved more than you set out to yeah. so you know is it maybe the best way to go now for small companies especially in with inflation still high and in investors maybe not as confident about investing in small companies. So in our latest round, so we just raised 1.5 million earlier this year, um, but it was a mix. So mm -hmm. we actually did some of it private, I suppose, okay. actually offline. And then we did a portion of it then kind of as crowdfunding. Um, again, for us, I suppose, after two years later, we had a lot more, I suppose, proof points. So we did go out for private investment and we found some amazing investors who both could kind of come with funds, but also with a lot of expertise that we needed in the business. Mm -hmm. So we got some, we brought on new investors, private ones with this round. Um, but then we still had our kind of loyal previous investors who had invested and they were wanting to get involved. So we didn't want to like close that door either on them because they supported us so long ago. Yeah. So we decided to open up a portion of it as well to crowdfunding. So we did a hybrid this time. Yeah. And just on costs um, and closer to the business then, was that something that was uh, a, an obstacle for you this year in terms of inflation? Was, did materials go up? packaging and you export as well. I mean, you're, you're not just in Ireland. So tell me a bit about that. Yeah, it's definitely been a challenge. Um, I suppose with our products, we manufacture everything with 100% certified organic cotton. Um, and then we also use sugarcane and a lot of, I suppose, raw ingredients that are kind of hard to source, I suppose, in the makeup of our products. Um, so yeah, the actual cost of manufacturing has significantly risen. We do all of our manufacturing in Europe. But with that, I suppose, the climate change as well, like mm -hmm. where our manufacturer is based, there's there was a lot of flooding, you know, and then as a result, the employees couldn't get it. There's been so many knock on effects from both kind of climate disasters and also, I suppose, disinflation of raw materials. All the crises <laughs> literally combined. So I suppose we were hoping now to kind of, you know, we'll be three years in business next April. So with economies of scale, you know, we obviously had forecasted that with scale, our costs would come down, but they haven't. Yeah. You know, we're lucky if we can get them to remain 
consistent with what they were at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's and definitely changed our like forecasting in terms of cash flow. Of course, yeah. And have you had to put up prices because of that? Slightly, but we also are kind of price sensitive in that this is, you know, this is kind of, I suppose, a product that's such a requirement. You know, it's not a luxury product, so we don't also want to price ourselves out of market for customers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose we're kind of taking that hit in some ways on our own kind of gross margin um, and just trying to kind of see like where else we could have cost savings. But I suppose the one thing that we'll never compromise on is the product itself. So it's kind of other things like marketing costs or spends or, you know, other things that we're trying to play with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a challenge for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know that you have a presence in the UK as well. And you know, the export um, border controls are going to come in next year, maybe. Uh, you know, I know that has been moved around a lot. Um, but is that something that's another concern for you? I know we've spoken uh, about this on the podcast with other guests before. And there's a lot of uncertainty, I suppose, because it's been promised and then the yeah. deadline has been changed. But is that something that will impact your business, do you think? Um, well, we're 90% of our business to date has been in Ireland. Um, but yeah, we just opened up an office in London. So that's going to be a key focus area for us for the next 12 months. We've mm-hmm. actually just moved our distribution center up to the north, um, okay. up to Northern Ireland, just for that reason, exactly to allow us to kind of be able to ship without any kind of oh, wow. so Brexit issues. forward thinking in that regard. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So our distribution center now in the north, I suppose, you know, services both kind of Republic of Ireland and also kind of Northern Ireland and the UK deliveries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have another distribution center then in Europe who will kind of manage all the deliveries there. Um, but yeah, it's a difficult one to navigate. I suppose Northern Ireland gives you that nice, I suppose, hybrid model. But potentially if the UK scales, we might need to look again at getting a third 3PL over there. Yeah. And what's the what's the overall vision for Riley now going forward are you looking to have actual office space in maybe the states and Europe and the UK as well obviously I know that you have that now um but what's what would you like to see yeah I think for us we want to make period care more accessible and just change how it's actually distributed you know and it should be available like toilet paper in public spaces so yeah UK is kind of the big focus for the next 12 months but I suppose with that as well with a lot of the global companies that we work with um, it'll be kind of, I suppose, further down the road supply chain, yeah, further afield. Mm-hmm. Um, so to the US and Asia as well. Yeah, the big uh, tampon company multinational from Ireland. I can see it. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, it'd be bad. Yeah. Well, uh, Lauren, thanks so much for joining me uh, on the IE Business Podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. A pleasure. Thanks a million. Thanks so much. Join me for another episode of the IE Business Podcast next week. IE Business Podcast, brought to you by the Irish Examiner, in association with PwC, experts in audit, tax and advisory services.